Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. I am Ben Godar. With me, as always, is my good friend, Ben Humphrey. The good news, listeners, today is an off day. The bad news, the Cardinals are going to keep playing after today for just a little while longer. Uh, ben, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing pretty well. We've got, uh, at least here in the upper Midwest, I think it's fair to say that we've had a pretty nice September weather-wise. And uh, today was one of those days uh, where we got outside and got to enjoy that weather. So I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, this is the kind of a season uh, where we lead off a Cardinals podcast by talking about the weather. I think that's a good <laughs> that's a good summary of the St. Louis Cardinals season so far. Uh, well, as we move into this uh, last off day of the uh, actual in season, um, uh, Ben, what have you learned? Um, I have learned that there is reason to be excited for 2024. And I don't mean like optimistic, you know what I mean? Like cautiously optimistic or anything like that. I, I think there's legitimately uh, reason to be excited for 2024. And, um, and the reason for that in my mind is the potential that Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn have shown as players, uh, but also kind of, the exuberance and the style of play and how they're having fun. Uh, it's been fun to watch and they're going out there playing hard, doing all this on a last place team. That's on a short road to nowhere. Yeah. And so uh, I think it, it is exciting to think about these two guys in the middle of a pennant race or in October um, or, or even at the DeWallet ball, standard of competitive in late yeah. September. So uh, that that's what I have learned is, you know, you never know with prospects, but watching these two, I, I think they're really likable personalities uh, from what we've seen so far. And I think they're also going to be very exciting on the diamond for years to come. Yeah, well, Ben, I, uh, I'm i going to kind of echo your optimism with my what I've learned. And, uh, you know, it was since our last off day that uh, Alec Burleson broke his thumb and his season ended. And uh, I was actually a little surprised kind of when that happened. There was a real chorus of folks talking about how good Alec Burleson's season was. And it wasn't just the, you know, the front office types and kind of some of the, you know, media folks who sort of kind of echo a lot of what the front office types, you know, say. It was, you know, folks like our good friend Kyle Reese, whose opinion I really respect. And, you know, other people who I, I you know, really kind of respect what they say. You know, because I have to be honest, I was kind of of the opinion that, you know, Alec Burleson just, you know, I was a little unimpressed with the season overall. You know, he has a very good profile in terms of, you know, batted ball, you know, hit ball hard. But I kind of came, you know, watched him this season hoping, you know, he would show some kind of, you know, defensive acumen or something else that would made me think, you know, he could, you know, maybe stick somewhere or kind of, you know, have that, uh, you know, kind of positional value that made me see him as a, uh, you know, just, just that one other thing where I could kind of see him being a piece in the future. And I really didn't see that this season. So, you know, I was kind of starting to, you know, slot him, you know, down into the kind of Juan Yepes's of the world. So, you know, but again, hearing some of these people who I respect think that got, got me thinking, you know, is there another way to think about uh, Alec Burleson? You know, and I think I may have come to uh, a way of thinking about him, Ben, and I'm going to I'm going to pitch this idea to you. Alec Burleson, 
uh, this season, and I, I grouped his last season in too because he just had a few at bats. Ninety point one average exit velocity, hundred and ten point six max exit velocity, forty one percent hard hit percentage. So we're we're agreed. You know, again, the batted ball profile there, pretty good, right? Uh, ben, are you are you with me on that? Oh yes, I am. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to confess to our listeners. I spilled beer all over myself and <laughs> muted my microphone. Um, so a little peek behind the curtains there, and then I was frantically trying to unmute after I'd already spoken to agree with you. That is in, pretty good. In fairness, we don't usually quiz each other during what have we learned. We don't pregame this and we and we, we don't usually spill beer on each other. So there were a no, lot of things no. going on there. Uh, so anyway, again, 90, 90.1 average exit velocity, 110.6 uh, max exit velocity, 41% hard hit percentage for Burleson. I'm going to give you the line for another player um, in his first season. 91% average exit velocity, 110.3 max exit velocity 42.3 percent hard hit percentage that's a nearly identical line would you would you agree with me ben if your mic is unmuted and you have not again spilled beer on yourself i do agree with you nearly identical nearly identical do you have any guess which player i have selected with of course you would surmise i have selected a player whose profile i am suggesting could be uh, an aspirational profile for mr burleson um, I understand that. And, uh, and, and with that in mind, I've been racking my brain trying to think of a, of a, frankly, a burly left-hander, uh, to compare him to, and I'm drawing a blank, but I am, I await your answer with bated breath. Cause I'm excited to see who this person is. Here it is. That's, that's Kyle Schwarber, Ben. And the more I think about it, I think, you know what I think the path is for Alec Burleson? And I don't think it's an easy path, but I think it might be the path. Just just keep hitting the shit out of the ball and be Kyle Schwarber. I think that might be the path for Alec Burleson. What do you think about that? I, I think that sounds like a good path. And I don't know if you read the article on STL Today about his season this year and the fact that he has such good contact skill and how he's kind of been resistant to change his aggressive approach with Turner Ward. And it, it sounds to me like Turner Ward is of a similar mindset to you, Ben, where, uh, you know, he needs to maybe be willing to strike out a little bit more and wait for pitches that he can club all over the yard or out of the yard yeah. um, more, more in the vein of what Schwerber does. Yeah, and I mean Kyle Schwarber is a, a, an absolute unicorn. So it, you know it, that that's a weird one to kind of model yourself after, right? Kyle Schwarber, I don't know if any, <laughs> how many listeners have been following this, or if you've been following this, Ben. He's going to end this season with a below 200 batting average and 45 home runs, which is just insane. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah, it's really nuts. And, and, and like 1.2 wins above replacement, uh, you know, on fan graphs, because of course his defense is also garbage. I mean, he's a just bizarre, bizarre player, but, but, um, I believe that's, uh, you know, but Kyle Schwarber, you know, early in his career, of course, he you know, came up as a catcher, you know, nothing there, basically kind of moved into the outfield. I think they tried him at first a little bit. You know, there was a point where they were kind of throwing their hands up with Schwarber, and it was like, this guy may not be a major leaguer, but ultimately he just hit the ball hard enough that, you know, he's, he's had a career. 
I, to me, that feels like maybe that's the viable path for Burleson, because I don't really see him, you know, let's say slimming down and, um, you know, turning into a center fielder. No, ab- absolutely not. And, you know, with Burleson, you also have to add that that caveat where, you know, he and Walker were were two big parts of that early season defensive collapse that the hang, the team has kind of had the hangover from yeah. for most of the year. And so he he has a profile that suggests he could be a hitter where you can play him even if he's at his current level in terms of fielding. But this year he just he didn't have the results that really allow you to benefit from his skills while enough should I say while also having the detriment of his lackluster fielding and so that's the thing that's really interesting to me like one of the limitations of stat cast is you can't really tell you know uh, whether it's a pulled ball or a ball hit the other way and you know I think Burleson does a really good job of going the other way well there's not a lot there's not as many home runs in that direction so I also feel like you know maybe he needs to uh, hang out with Nolan Arenado a little bit and and learn how to not only hit the shit out of the ball as you put it so eloquently, Ben, but also hit the shit out of the ball to the pull side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it. I believe it. So anyway, that is what I have learned, Ben. Um, but moving on, we have a whole bunch of great questions today, so we are just going to focus our attention into the mailbag. So. Uh, why don't we drive right in, Ben, and our, our first uh, question and our first kind of category in here um, uh, really has to do with the terrible, no good, very bad 2023 season. And we should give uh, credit to uh, our good friend Dan, who does uh, our uh, social media and, and, and does sometimes put uh, some, some nice uh, categories in here as he's <laughs> pulling these together for us. Uh, this comes from Bronson. This is over on uh, the, the Discord. And we, you know, I know we mentioned Twitter the most, but we, um, there is a, a Discord channel as well for several uh, Cardinals podcasts and Cardinals off days, including there as well so that's another way folks can connect with us uh, and Bronson uh, says Ben's uh, not to be lost in this unfortunately unforgettable season is the bevy of jobbers brought into the 26-man roster with many getting consistent innings on the pen or time in the field how would you rank your top five jobbers for the 23 birds and Ben I did actually look at this ahead of time and I do have a ranking so if you don't I'd be happy to to lead off on this one uh, well, you sound uh, excited. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> for, for this, <laughs> I'm prepared. And, I'm prepared. Uh, and so I'm going to let you go. I have a list here, um, but I am not feeling particularly strong about it. So uh, I'm going to let you kick things off. Well, we could also, if we both have lists, we could we could just both go from five down to one together. All right. Uh, right. Why don't you go first what, with the, 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 I guess this wouldn't be the number one overall pick, but we're starting at five, counting down to our number one jobber. All right. Well, now no, number five is my least, you know, my, my least exciting because if you get down to five, I felt like just, just pick a reliever because I feel like there's so many jobber relievers. I was like, you can just fill it out with any, any jobber there. That wasn't too exciting to me. Um, so, so that one I left a little uninteresting, but, but uh, Ben, did you have a more interesting number five? Um, my, so 
I approached this a little bit differently. I was thinking Jobber, when I think of Jobber, like many uh, pro wrestling fans, I think of the Brooklyn Brawler, right? And so um, there's, and, and I know this is kind of, as, as I read the question, um, it's kind of how would you rank your top five uh, jobbers? And so um, there are two ways to go about this. You could go like, these are the jobbers that we think could be something. something oh, yeah, that's, that's right? a good point. We should talk criteria. Yeah. 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 And so when I approached this, I took the exact opposite approach. Mine was, these are the guys that we're going to be having drinks about uh, with friends at a bar and we're talking about some guys from the St. Louis Cardinals and we'll be giggling that they were on this team. Because uh, that's, ba that's basically okay. the, the level that I took, Ben. Oh, perfect. All right. Okay. Um, so uh, with that in mind, and, and this, this uh, selection is a little bit of a stretch on, on the one hand because of his salary. Um, but nonetheless... Uh, I also did not feel that he merits, you know, kind of one of the, the top four spots. Uh, and that's just kind of how I feel about him as a player after all these years. And so uh, without further ado, uh, my number five jobber on the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals is Dakota Hudson. Yeah. And uh, I am putting him at number five because he's somehow uh, – he, everything he always was, but he still gets that little, you know, handful of starts where he has a low ERA, even though he walks all these guys and doesn't strike out enough guys and gives up all these hits. And you look at his yep. box score and it'll be like, he had 13 base runners and five and a third inning, but he only gave up two runs, yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And, yep. and so uh, his gimmick as a jobber is old and tired. And that prevents him from being higher on my list. But my number five jobber of the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals is Dakota Hudson. Uh, perfect. Perfect. My number four jobber and n newly minted jobber. You know, sometimes a jobber is, you know, formerly a guy who was featured, Ben. Um, uh, but, you know, he, he, he's no longer, uh, you know, working the, uh, you know, the, the broadcast shows. And now he's doing Shotgun Saturday Nights and he's doing house shows. And uh, uh, my number four jobber is Matthew Liberator because I think he's I think he's been uh, officially demoted to jobber status. So that's my number four. All right, my number four jobber for the 2023 uh, St. Louis Cardinals is Trace Barrera. Oh my gosh! Ooh, and All he right. is my he is my number four jobber. Uh, because he is he is like uh, one of the jobbers who joined the NWO, you know, like he's like Virgil, where it's like, yeah. what? Are, why? How are you even in this stable? What are you even doing here? And the reason is he's a lackey who like the the guys in charge of the stable like. And yeah. so uh, Barrera makes this list because he was the lackey who made the roster when Marmol and Mosaloc tried to knife Wilson Contreras on behalf yeah. of some uh, failing pitchers who were trying to find a scapegoat for their terrible pitching. Oh, Ben, so, I, I, I have Trace Barrera. I have him much higher than you. Oh, you, you have him much higher than me. Okay. You don't have to convince me on Trace Barrera. By the way, we, uh, we totally have the same number one. I think there's no question about that. 
Uh, number three for me, Ben. I've got Jake Woodford. Oh, see now. No, the, is, well, I will does this let mean you that we don't have rationale. the same number one? This does mean that we don't have the same number one. Oh my goodness! Um, because because Shock I had shocks. to I I had to go with Woodford number one. Oh, I've just given the brand now, but I think for the brand. But I think every our listeners probably knew that. But uh, please explain your selection at number five. Well, I mean, or number three, excuse me, number, number three. three. Sorry, Jake Woodford. Uh, you know, he's he's in the he's in the rotation a little bit. He's in the bullpen a little bit. He's in Memphis a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I think Jake Woodford is the platonic ideal of a jobber. So, so I certainly, you know, Ben, now hearing how as high as you have him, I'm I'm not going to argue with that. Jake well, Woodford is a fantastic jobber. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you speak more about it when we get to your spot on the other. On the yes, he's he is uh, he is the quintessential uh, jobber in my mind. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. There, there's so uh, many job amazing jobbers on this team that I don't think we can argue with any of our rankings here, frankly. So uh, anyway, who's your number three? Uh, my number three jobber is uh, Drew Verhagen. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. And one, I think the name really lends itself to kind of a very classic Vince McMahon gimmick, you know, where he's Dutch, he's condescending, but he's not that good at wrestling and the crowd just really hates him. And so uh, he's also not very good. And, you know, I keep thinking back to the interview he gave in spring training about how Statcast really likes his pitches <laughs> or the advanced metrics really like his pitches yeah. or something like that. And I just, this question made me think of that statement kind of like an Alex Wright WCW, uh, you know, spot where yeah. he's doing a promo and, and he's talking about his, his stuff and how, you know, all the advanced metrics and everything about all of his pitches, but then he's just, he's just a jobber. And so uh, that is why I chose Drew Verhagen, or as we used to call him here on the podcast, Drew Verhagen. Drew Verhagen. All right. Well, number two, Ben, I had Trace Barrera for the reasons that you stated earlier. Uh, uh, you you had uh, Trace Barrera in our, our worst Cardinals of all time draft a few weeks ago. And I, I thought Trace Barrera was just particularly notable for the fact that he spent so long on the roster <laughs> and, and barely, barely even got on the field, which I thought was just a, a, a really you know, special, special kind of jobber. So that's why I had Trace Barrera at number two. Uh, ben, I know for a fact your number two has to be my number one because you have he hasn't come up yet. Yes, uh, my number two uh, jobber on the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals is Taylor Motter. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I did not... Part of this is I did not have the heart to put him at number one because he's been grinding at this for so long. Um, Gr- but maybe that is like really a jobber, if you will. Yes, <laughs> on the road uh, with his black uh, pleather fanny pack, and going from Chipotle to Chipotle, <laughs> uh, eating the burrito bowls to try to stay fit, looking for his opportunity to get over and, and have his big break. Um, but you know, Taylor uh, Motter s- is- signing autographs in a high school gymnasium, like Mickey Rourke in the wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, he's almost, he's almost really like, you know, someone who like gets fired by 
you know, 1990s WWF and gets signed by WCW and they just keep like firing him and each one keeps signing him. And uh, just, you know, I, I admire his uh, stick-to-itiveness, but that doesn't change the fact that he is a jobber. Well, and that plays, of course, into him being my number one. And Ben, I feel like if you were to put a face on the 2023 Cardinals, it would be Taylor Motter, this guy who, you know, makes the opening day roster, this this real kind of, you know, nobody, you know, scrub who, you know, oh, kind of great story gets a shot and then spends what, like 78% of the season on the roster and just a shocking amount of time on the team, including getting starts at shortstop. I mean, it's like, that's, <laughs> that's the story of the season right there. If, if that is all someone told, like if you woke up from a coma, having not seen any of the season and someone just told you that you'd be like, Oh, okay. I get it. I, I know it happened. So for me, that's why Taylor Motter is my number one jobber. Uh, but anyway, Ben, tell us about your, your number one jobber. Uh, my, my number one jobber is Jake Woodford and uh, one of the reasons is, you know, he's a former high floor number one draft pick for the Cardinals and trademark built a wit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he is emblematic of the organizational failure to draft and develop pitching, uh, that we, that came glaringly to the forefront, uh, during the season, and, and so he is just, he is very representative of that. And um, one of the other things that he has done this year, he, he's, he's, he is the quintessential replacement of the pitcher. Like people, when they criticize wins above replacement, which is the catch-all stat where you try to measure how good a player is, people always say like replacement level doesn't exist. Well, yes, it does. It's Jake Woodford. And, yeah. and he, uh, this year has been, uh, even, even worse than he has, uh, really ever been. And in a way that seemed like it was maybe behind him. Um, but he has, he, he picked up walking people again. And, uh, before he made his major league debut, his, uh, season in AAA, he had a very high walk rate and, um, and now this year he has an extraordinarily high walk rate. Now, admittedly, it's only in 46 innings, but last year he had a very good walk rate over about, uh, high forties in, in an innings pitch total. And so he is, he is the no strikeout too many walks, you know, former first round pick who has never even had a good season as a starter, unlike Dakota Hudson. And so to me, he's. You know, he's not even the Brooklyn brawler. He's the guy who comes in with just like black tights who doesn't even really have a gimmick. It's just Jake Woodford. You know what I mean? The Undertaker yep. is wrestling Jake Woodford and he just gave him the tombstone pile driver and he wraps him up in a body bag and that's where they leave him until the commercial break. Yeah. 
Yep. No, so it's a solid pick. I think these were all solid jobbers. And Bronson, thank you for the great question. Ben, since I kind of uh, overtook you uh, in leading off that one, I'm going to go ahead and ask you this next one. Uh, Dan Chibnall at Book Owl asks, uh, there have been a lot of stats to try and explain or understand the Cardinals' problems this year, such as one-run losses, blown saves, terrible hitting stats with the bases loaded, etc. Which stat do you think helps isolate the team's main problems in 2023? Um, so for me and, and all of these things are true. And if the Cardinals did better in one run in one run games, it's a, it's a completely, the season is a completely different story, right? Like, and, and I understand all of those things, but to me, the, the thing that is the most telling, um, on StatCast, they take the data for a ball and play, you know, how hard it's hit how high it's hit, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they look at all the other hits that match that profile and what they resulted in. And then they, they use it to come up with an expected uh, outcome. And then they put that in one of their X stats. If it's X weighted on base average, con which is contact that's just on all balls in play it excludes walks then expected weighted on base average is walks and balls in play and so if it's x tube it's expected tubes yeah we get it yeah yeah (laughs) and so uh the expected era is just expected weighted on base average okay but put in in the era format and so to me that is the stat for especially for the starters that is most emblematic of this season because you know yes the defense was bad but let's be honest here there there was a whole lot of loud hard contact to the outfield especially from the starters especially early in the year that it didn't matter if you had Harrison Bader playing all three outfield positions you know that was going to be a double <laughs> yeah. you know or a home run he couldn't catch it because it was over the wall and so to me that is the stat that is most emblematic of the 2023 season was just kind of the way you have a smaller margin of error if you have pitch to contact starters and then they start walking more people or they get too much of the plate and they're giving up really hard contact and it's hard to come back from that when you're down you know three four five to nothing or three, four, five to two or what have you. And so yeah. uh, expected ERA on baseball savant uh, is, is my number one stat for the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Well, you and I are kind of thinking in the same direction. Um, I, I went even simpler. Uh, they were 29th in strikeout percentage this year. Uh, 19.3%. The only team that was worse, uh, the Colorado Rockies. And frankly, Colorado is always worse because you can't get strikeouts in Colorado because the ball doesn't break. So basically, the Cardinals were last. They were last in strikeout percentage. They can't strike anybody out. We know that's one of the, you know, kind of three true outcome factors. So basically, they were at the mercy of balls in play and walk percentage. So they were really just essentially destined to fail on the, on the pitching front and, and, and fail they did. So, um, so that was, that for me was the, was the, uh, was the number right there. Well, uh, Ben, 
our listeners are understandably kind of putting the 2023 season in the rearview mirror. And a lot of these questions dealt with what the team should do after this season. And one of those is from longtime cards fan and longtime cards fan asks first, uh, pick a starting pitcher. You think the team should sign this off season, then pick one that you think they will sign this off season. Second, since Tyler O'Neill is likely to be non-tendered, pick the player you think most likely to be traded this offseason. Um, you know, for the player they should sign, I feel like there was a point even just a month or two ago where, again, setting aside everything I know about what they actually are likely to do, I might have actually said uh, Blake Snell because, you know, he started the year off and he, he had the like kind of the, you know, the walks and the low innings. And there was just some enough weirdness there that I think people were kind of not seeing how amazing his like strikeouts were. And so I think he was like, there's a point where he was actually like kind of sneaky good. I mean, everybody knew he was good, but I think he was actually like way better than people realized. But now like his, his goodness has sort of caught up with that and he's like going to win the Cy Young. So like, it's not sneaky good anymore. It's just like, everybody knows he's good. So I, I still say like Blake Snell, but I mean, he's going to win the Cy Young. So he's going to be just way, way, way off, you know, the Cardinals, uh, you know, price range to the extent that he even could have been. Um, you know, I am kind of coming around to the idea that they're going to potentially go after this uh, um, uh, Shota Imananga, and I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. He's the second best Japanese pitcher. Um, uh, so not only is he second best, which we know is something the Cardinals are always interested in, um, but he also <laughs> uh, he has no posting fee, um, uh, which is also, again, we've noted in the past, they've never signed a player coming out of Asia subject to the posting system. So uh, those two things, I think, make it incredibly likely that they go after him. Um, I don't know a ton about him. I mean, he doesn't have the, the greatest stuff, but he is over 30. Um, he, he has a, a, a 10.9 strikeouts per nine in Japan this year. We know strikeouts per nine, not as great as strikeout percentage in measuring. We know there's a translation that comes over there, but still, you know, seems like probably good enough strikeout stuff, certainly probably better than, you know, the, the, what they have here. Um, so I, I think he might be somebody they go after. And, and I think he would be an interesting upgrade. Uh, ben, who, what are you thinking on these questions? Oh, and I guess somebody they're going to trade. I, I mean, I, I really feel like, you know, Dylan Carlson's days are, are pretty numbered. Um, so I'd, I'd throw him out there. Ben, what do you think? Um, well, for the, uh, who should they trade? or who should they sign um, until the weird injury issues, I would have said Marcus Stroman, um, even though he's yeah. not like a big strikeout guy, I thought he would be kind of in that like tier one B of starting pitchers where like, he's not going to be cheap, but he kind of is a bridge between where they were and where they want to go. So they, you know, they have a good infield defense that they can put behind him. And he also increases the strikeouts uh, without, uh, you know, kind of going into that level of strikeouts that's of the expense they don't like to pay for. Um, so I, I would have said Stroman, but he's had some weird health issues and I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, so... Uh, I, I'm going to 
I'm going to say that they, they should sign Aaron Nola and there are red flags there. Um, but he still has the swing and miss stuff. And, and he also does a little bit, you know, of the things that the team likes from a pitcher um, in, in terms of the batted ball profile and that type of thing. And so I think he would be a pretty good fit here. Um, but, you know, I, there, there are question marks with each one of those, but I just, with Snell, the, the walks just scare me because I, I don't know what happens if the stuff takes a little bit of a hit and he's already walking guys when he has great stuff, you know, like, and so I, that scares me, especially on the type of deal I think he's going to get. Um, And so that those would be my top two, I guess should sign. Um, But if, but if, you know, if they get into the medicals and they're fine with Marcus Stroman, then that's who I would uh, sign. Um, who they will sign, I think they will sign uh, Jordan Montgomery. I, I, I think they're going to sign Jordan Montgomery, and uh, and I'm okay with that. I even thought about having him be my this is who they should sign because I think the price is going to be as reasonable as a free agent starting pitcher's price can be for his talent, and um, and he was very good for – this team, even though the team was not very good this year, and he's been very good for the Rangers, and he was also rock solid, rock solid for the Yankees. And when you look at this team for 2024, they don't have that 150 to 200 kind of cornerstone, above average innings eater type of starter. And that's what Jordan Montgomery is. You know, the cliche, you know, not going to you know, knock your socks off, but he's going to give you a chance to win every night. And some nights he's going to be an ace and, you know, he kind of, he kind of fits that mold and the Cardinals usually have a pitcher like that, who they uh, lean on when they're out there competing for division championships in an October Um, in terms of who is most likely to be traded. uh, I am going to go uh, with, uh, for my St. Louis Cardinal, most likely to be traded, I'm going to go with Tommy Edmond because uh, I I think he I think Lars Newbar is the starting center fielder. Tommy Edmond is the short end of a platoon, and I think they might use him as a sweetener uh, in a potential deal for a starting pitcher. And you already said Dylan Carlson, but, yeah. but Carlson's Carlson's value is like at a yeah. nader yeah. and he's still under control and cheap. Whereas Edmund, I think everyone knows what he is mm-hmm. and he might be more valuable to the Cardinals than anyone, but he's getting more expensive. He's the short end of a platoon. You know, they have Mason Wynn batting right handed at shortstop. They have, uh, Nolan Gorman, who's probably going to be batting left-handed at second base. And it's just kind of like, uh, you know, they can find someone to hit left-handed pitching who can play second base. You you know what I mean? Like when they need him to, because the whole infield is kind of structured where they're going to hit left-handed pitching. So do you really need a utility guy like Tommy Edmond who really hits left-handed pitching? Well, so does Nolan Arenado. So does, 
you know, let's say Mason win, yeah. you know, once he reaches his highest level. So yeah. I'm going to say Tommy Edmond. Um, and if Brendan Donovan had been healthy and ended the season, I probably would have said Brendan Donovan. Um, yeah. to be frank. But with his health, I just don't know what his trade market would be. And the reason that I say that is I think it's going to hurt to trade for starting pitching, and it's going to require someone like Brendan Donovan to be traded. But yeah. um, right now, I I just don't know what all of that's going to look like and how teams will approach that um, because it's just, you know, we're a little too close to a surgery. It, it's hard to really figure out how teams will view it. So uh, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, Jeremy uh, Baustian asks, this Wainwright guy has been pretty good lately. What are the odds he or the team entertains bringing him back? And uh, he adds Kyler, uh, uh, Kyle Reese's uh, uh, Twitter handle and the burning house pick. Uh, <laughs> I think you know what that means. I mean, we have said it before. Uh, on this podcast that the defining mistake of the offseason for the St. Louis Cardinals front office was maybe thinking a little bit too much with their heart and a little bit too much of the ability to make money off of a farewell tour like they did last year with Yachty and Pujols and signing Adam Wainwright instead of improving the rotation. And, you know, not only did they not improve it, they made it worse. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but really after the way Wainwright finished last season, I, I think a lot of us probably, and I'm, I say us because I think I was overly optimistic, like he'll be, he'll be fine, you know, um, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. And so, um, you know, it's a very good joke, but, you know, in all, in all seriousness, and I'm very happy that he won his 200th game, uh, and I'm very happy he's going to get a proper farewell where everyone knows he's leaving. And I hope he pitches pretty well in that game. I think he will, because I think he's just going to be amped out of, out of his mind and the adrenaline is going to be really pumping. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the reality of it is yeah. the, the Adam Wainwright farewell tour really made this team quite a bit worse this year. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, to the question, uh, odds that he comes back, um, it's a it's a funny joke. And uh, um, <laughs> the way Wainwright has come back so many times, um, we can't completely rule it out, but we can pretty much rule it out. Um, he did, uh, there was some reporting this week uh, that he's signed some broadcast contracts and all that. Uh, and I think the, the farewell this weekend where he's gonna uh, play with his band. And uh, it sounds like it's a little questionable how much or even if he will pitch. Um, and it sounds like they are going to get him in at bat, um, which is pretty interesting um, as well. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's going to be just all kinds of uh, Adam Wainwright uh, silliness this weekend. So anyway, I think that'll be the that'll be the farewell tour. So anyway, that, that'll be nice. And I, I'm pretty confident that'll be the end of it. Uh, as am I uh, moving along Greg Maturin asks, if the Cardinals opening day 2024 rotation is Sonny Gray, Shota Imanagua, uh, Miles Michaelis, Mats, and Seth Lugo, rate your mood, one being the worst and 10 being the best. I don't care what Mo says. They can't compete for the big boys like Nola, 
or with the big boys, Ford, Nola, Snell, Yamamoto. I mean, if that was their uh, rotation, I would be probably pretty close to a 10 because in that rotation, they have gone out and signed three free agents. So they've acquired three uh, uh, pitchers and Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz are the only current players in their rotation. I kind of frankly expect that they might only bring in two new acquisitions. And I'm not going to be surprised if that final spot in the rotation ends up being the kind of classic competition spot between like Zach Thompson and Matthew Liberatore and Rom and maybe Takoa Roby and, you know, some of these other kind of recent acquisition guys, Ben. So, you know, if they in fact go out and get three guys and the three named here are all, you know, yeah, again, yeah, not the top of the, you know, top of the market guys, but, you know, pretty decent guys. I would say that's that's pretty solid. I agree. I will be absolutely shocked if they have five guaranteed contracts for yes. major league starters um, where the the nature of the contract, there's no doubt that this person is a is starting the season if they're healthy in the rotation. Um, yes. Because I think they really painted themselves themselves into a corner with that in recent years. And I will be surprised if, uh, if they make, if they take that same approach. Um, That's a well, it, again, in the next several years. No, that's a great point. If they have, if they do acquire that third uh, starter, it will be a trade for a pitcher with options that they, they have that flexibility with. No question. No question. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, uh, oh, the, I think this one goes to you. Uh, Yemis Duncan asks, last season, Tommy Edmond, friend of the podcast, won Fielding Bible's Utility Defenseman Award, and Brendan Donovan won the Utility Gold Glove. With rule changes, Edmond is a bad second baseman and an average defender. Overall, someone's been listening to the podcast. Donovan <laughs> is a bad second baseman and a passable defender overall. Do Edmund Donovan deserve another chance to back up Gorman, or are we ready to give a trial run to Sagesi? And Ben, you kind of touched on the first part of that. What do you think about the... I guess that's kind of second part as well. Uh, I think, and, you know, longtime listeners know that, that we believe there should be a lot more 400 to 600 plate appearance guys on the team. Um, I, I think, uh, I think that Brendan Donovan's going to get 600 plate appearances next year at multiple positions. And that's fine because I think a lot of them are going to come with him playing the outfield. And again, he he's not even really necessarily a guy that you need to platoon with. Uh, but even if you're trying to max out your position player, uh, your position players with matchups and the way you're forming your lineup, like Donovan is is the big side of that platoon. And so I I would be more concerned uh, if I were Edmund than I would be if I were Donovan. Like, well, I, I think I think there's more reason... Uh, there's more reason to be concerned if the guy who's coming up is right-handed and you're, you're, the, your biggest value as an offensive player is hitting right-handed, even, yeah. even if they don't match up in terms of defensive flexibility. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I, I'm going to push back on that slightly. And I'm going to tell you, I think one dirty little secret that the Cardinals nation has not quite come to terms with yet is Brendan Donovan is a bad defender at every position they put him at. Um, he's, and, and, you know, he's a, he's a utility player in that he can, he can play below average defense in a number of places. And I think, you know, it's, he's, he's a very good hitter though. And he is a very good left-handed hitter who doesn't have problematic platoon splits. So, um, I, and I agree with you. I think he's going to, you know, if he's healthy, he is going to get all of those plate appearances all over the place, but you know, I think that brings him a little closer to Tommy Edmond in terms of their sort of overall usefulness, because Edmond just has that real utility knife backup, uh, you know, skill set. And and I'm with you. I do think there's a decent chance they trade him because I do think he's somebody that another team could see value in. And if they saw enough value in him, I think you can definitely let him go. But I think he does bring a, a pretty significant value to the Cardinals just in that he's that guy that when you have a, a an injury, he's going to be a better replacement at so many positions than whoever your other bench player is going to be there, even given his his limitations, particularly hitting left handed. Um, so th those would be the kind of two things I would say about, you know, Edmund and Donovan, you know, when it comes to, you know, Segesi, really exciting minor league season, let's, let's pump the brakes just a little. He just got moved up to AAA, right, at the end of this season. So he's, he's a significant step below Edmund and Donovan. So, um, you know, exciting player, and I think certainly profiles to, you know, eventually kind of maybe move into their level or even beyond, but definitely not ready to, you know, say next season, yeah, let's, you know, move one of these guys out for him has not shown that he's ready for that yet. Yeah, they're, they're not gonna, I, I don't think they're going to clear a spot for him this off season. I, I think if that happens, it's going to be, it, it would not be until after next season. I, I totally yes. agree, Ben. And, and you make a good point about Donovan like he is not a particularly good defender but if they're going to get him you know say the majority of his plate appearances in left field you know what does his overall value look like then you know like yeah. that's that's the thing is right. it it really depends on how they're going to deploy all these people because you know he he's not great but he's right. definitely better than Alec Burleson out there. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so, you know, who, who's to say? Yes. Um, Alex Chrisafuli, friend of the pod, asks, since it's almost October, I wanted to ask you guys a question that has always not at me, and one in which, in which I've never gotten a satisfactory answer. If in the final at-bat of the 2011 NLDS, Ryan Howard hits the ball to the gap instead of the dribbler to the shredder, is he able to drag his way safely to first with the torn Achilles, or does he get thrown out from the outfield? Such a fantastic question. And uh, I feel like Alex always just has such great questions like this. I never thought about this before. I think this really just comes down to the the metal of one Ryan Howard, doesn't it? Um, and as I'm, you know, playing that back in my mind, I mean, he tears that Achilles like right out of the box. So he's only a step or two right down the line as he, you know, crumples to the ground. So we have to imagine he gets, you know, he gets some good wood on it. 
So he knows it's going into the gap, but he takes those couple steps and then he's, he's down on the ground. Um, so he immediately knows he's, he's, you know, it's torn, but there's a chance. Um, now, Alex suggests drag. I'm thinking if you really are going to try to get there, even on a torn Achilles, you're probably going to get yourself up onto your good leg and, and hop, Ben. I think that's yeah. probably your, that's, that's probably your, uh, your, your quickest method of locomotion. So I would modify this and say, can, gosh, what was he like, you know, six, eight, you know, two and a half bucks, Ryan Howard hop to first base <laughs> yeah. before, uh, you know, uh, wh whichever out, depending on which gap it was in, whichever outfielder gets to the ball and throws him out at first base. It's close, but I kind of tend to think that that outfielder might get him at first base. I think he, I think he's still out. What do you, what do you think, Ben? I, he went down hard, man. Like, you know, that's the, I have never torn my Achilles uh, and uh, hopefully I never will. So I, I don't know the level of pain, um, but I've heard, you know, it is very hard to function and Ryan Howard, like he went down hard. And so yeah. I, th that's really the thing to me is like, you know, when you're a major league hitter, you know about that quality of contact off the bat, right? Like, so he knew that he hit the ball on the ground and that he, he was out, right? Like, right. that's, that's what I assume. So if he hits the ball and he knows that he is not out, yeah, right? Like, you know, does he even go down that hard? You know what I'm right. saying? Like, yeah. Or is he moving towards first base out of yeah. the box, right? Yes. Like trying yes. and kind of going down, you know, while moving like a, you know, a football player who gets hit in the open field and they're, you know, they're trying to keep their knees from touching the ground so they can get across the goal line. Right. Like, yeah. So how far is he able to get in that instance? And then, you know, is he able, I totally agree with you that he has to get up and hop. And I think if he's able to do that, you know, I think he's probably safe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a close play. And I think the only way that we can solve this is for you and I and Alex to pitch to like Discovery Channel, a show called like MLB Mythbusters, where we solve <laughs> things like this and we get Ryan Howard to like lay down on the ground and then whoever the outfielders uh, were that we want to decide uh you know they uh you know we, we we get the ball out there and then ryan howard has to get up and hop and we uh we test it out this we have to do this with science that's what it comes down to yes and and uh humane science we won't uh you know we won't be like hitting people in the achilles tendon with a golf club out of the batter's box like no, ah, we won't, no, we no. Won't, we won't, <laughs> yeah we won't actually we won't actually tear his his achilles tendon for this no 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 ryan howards will be injured in the filming of this episode so no all right but I, I really i really enjoyed that question that's a, a fun thing to think about it, i i think he makes it i think he makes it to first you know, he very well might. I think the I think the the adrenaline and just the, especially in a big moment like that, I, I think that would probably carry uh, an athlete a long, long ways. So 
All right, our final question from the grab bag here. Buck Webb asks, who is your favorite lesser known Cardinal? For example, Tony Pena was one of my favorite Cardinals growing up when we played backyard ball. We always mimicked his atypical catching style. I know we always did that when we were kids too, Ben. So Ben, who is a, a favorite uh, lesser known Cardinal of yours? Well, Buck Webb, I had a Tony Pena catcher's mitt, even though I didn't really catch. Uh, you know, it was more for just using the neighborhood games, and, you know, I had it in case someone needed it at a game. Uh, so I'm right there with you on Tony Pena. Um, but since you included it in the question, you know, I can't just say, oh, hey, Tony Pena's my guy, you know. Um, so uh, a St. Louis Cardinal who I – uh, like to, uh, you know, may or may not still be thought of as lesser known. I, I feel like maybe he has faded um, with uh, a, a, just a little bit from notoriety. Um, but mine would be Bernard Gilkey. Um, I, I liked him uh, growing up quite a bit. Um, I also really like Delino DeShields, love Delino DeShields. And so th those would be my my other two in addition to Tony Pena, who I loved. Nice, nice, good one. Uh, since you brought in uh, childhood gloves, I feel compelled to say I had a Bob Horner uh, glove uh, oh, as a man. child. I assume my dad uh, like got it out of the bargain bin, and that's why I had that. Um, <laughs> that's like that's like having a Burleson glove. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who, why, why would why did they even make a Bob Horner glove? So that's another. That's a question. That's another question for our MythBusters show. Yes, yes, um, it is. So if I had to pick a favorite lesser known Cardinal, like my, I think my very first like wax pack I ever opened was a, a 1986 tops wax pack. And the first Cardinal player that I like ever got in a pack was Tito Landrum. And he looked really cool in that 86 tops card too. And so like, I kind of held that card and sort of like a like place of honor when you know i had like basically no other cardinals baseball cards and i didn't at that point i didn't really even like know a lot of the players necessarily but like he was a cardinal and he looked cool so tito landrum was always a player i liked i also need to shout out milt thompson because my aunt ran into him at like a mall one time and he signed like a three by five card she had in her uh, <laughs> purse for for me so that's I have, awesome some, somewhere i have a three by five card signed by milt thompson so thank you milt if you're listening um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, uh, everybody, for the questions, uh, both today and through the through the whole season. We always, always appreciate those. Ben, um, we have just a little bit of the season left. Thank goodness. What are you going to be watching for? Uh, I am going to be watching for Adam Wainwright's at bat because uh, I once went down to Wrigley Field uh, and got there early. The Cardinals were in town. I was also in town for, for a wedding. And I watched Adam Wainwright take batting practice. And he hit three or four onto Waveland Avenue. And Albert Pujols was teasing him about it. Um, and they were laughing and having a good time. And, and that's a fond memory that I have as a Cardinals fan, uh, getting to Wrigley early enough to watch some of Cardinals BP. And so I'm really interested to see if Wainwright is – in his last plate appearance, if he gets it, if he is selling out for power to get a home run or if he's up there just 
you know, like grinding yeah. like any other at bat in any other season. And so I'm, I'm going to really enjoy that uh, event if it occurs um, because, you know, it doesn't matter if the Cardinals lose. So let's enjoy some weird thing like that while we can. Um, if he is not up there taking a beer league softball swing for the fences, I am going to be disappointed because then what's the point? I have to say, I know, um, I think it was the cat reported that he had batting gloves in his locker in San Diego. I actually thought he might take uh, an at-bat in San Diego. And part of the reason for that was, do you remember way back in uh, Tony La Russa days, there was a point in time where uh, uh, Mark McGuire was injured. If you, if you can remember a point when Mark <laughs> McGuire was injured, I know it's tough to remember, but, um, but there was a period of time where he was injured and he couldn't play the field. And uh, when they were on the road, uh, Larusa was penciling him in ostensibly as the second baseman, although it didn't really matter. But he was batting him second in the lineup so that he would get a and he would bat in the top of the inning, and then he'd immediately replace him. So the thing is, he wasn't really burning uh, a spot in the lineup. And I kind of thought that he might do that with um, uh, he might do that with Wainwright as well because uh you know they might do that with wainwright because if they did that in san diego they wouldn't have to burn a spot in the lineup um at home you know they're gonna have to pull somebody so i don't know if they just try to wait until you know bottom of the ninth um or i mean that's probably what they'll do because otherwise you know they, they gotta you know pull somebody and then put in a defensive replacement so it'll, it'll be interesting to see but i you know i think we definitely want to see that at bat all of us um Ben, I am going to be watching for, uh, we had a question from our good friend, Alex Crisofoli. One of his things that he has watched for for years is uh, this great statistic that the Cardinals have not finished behind the Pirates since 1999. Uh, they still have a chance, Ben. Um, there's six games behind the Pirates. They have six games left to play. So if they have any devil magic left in them, it's possible that they will hold on to that. But Probably not. So I think we're going to see that record fall. They also uh, haven't finished last since 1990. If uh, they uh, <laughs> if they don't uh, win six and the Pirates lose six, they're also going to finish last. So we're probably going to see both of those records fall, Ben. But um, I'll be watching anyway. Wouldn't it be crazy if that didn't happen? Uh, it would be crazy and wonderful. But uh, alas, I fear you're right, Ben. I, I think <laughs> we're going to be a last place team uh, come the last out of the season. I think so, too. I think so, too. We didn't talk about it ahead of time, Ben. Do you, do you have an off day recommendation? I don't. But if you do, I'll try to think of one while you're talking. Um, I do have an off day uh, recommendation. I was on uh I was on Twitter and I was uh, looking at some interviews uh, with some of the Hollywood types and, um, and I came across just a headline where it was, uh, you know, it was, Oh, Sir Michael Caine is retired. And, you know, if you, if you look at the, the article and, and the actual quote is just basically like, I'm so old. Yeah, I'm retired. Um, and so what I, what I wanted to recommend is a Michael Caine movie um, that I really enjoy. And uh, that movie is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It is co-starring Steve Martin. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I have uh, have enjoyed it uh, most of my life. And with Michael Caine unofficially retired, 
um, I wanted to recommend that. Uh, if folks are looking for a movie uh, here this fall, uh, since the Cardinals won't be playing as much. Fantastic, Ben. Well, while you were talking, I looked uh, at my bookshelves behind me uh, frantically. Uh, and I came across uh, Destroy, uh, uh, well, actually, I came across the Destroy All Monsters, which is one of the uh, Reckless books by uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips have written uh, a number of very noirish uh, kind of uh, comics together, and they're often kind of, um, uh, you know, compiled together into graphic novel format. Um, the Reckless books are really a lot of fun. It's about a, a guy who's... Um, like an ex FBI guy who now works essentially as a private eye and uh, it's set in the seventies. And he lives in this abandoned movie theater in Los Angeles. You would love this, Ben. They're, they're super, super fun. Um, so I would recommend any book in the reckless series. And honestly, I would recommend really any of the books that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips have worked on. So um, you can get them at your local comic shop. Uh, a lot of libraries stock them as well. So I would say, check those out. Ben, anything else for folks before we uh, wrap up this last regular off day of the season? Uh, nope, nothing else from me, folks. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the baseball season because it's going to get cold and uh, we aren't going to have uh, any Cardinals baseball until February. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but uh, at any rate, oh, there's my dog barking, and that must mean it's time to wrap things up. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, everybody. We will be back. Uh, we will wrap up the season. Um, I, I'm traveling, so we probably won't do one on the very uh, first day after the season ends, but we will be back uh, after the season. Thanks, as always. See you later. Go, Go